Blog Talk Radio. Quarters. Security, condition three. Thank you. Security three, sir. General quarters three. Intruder alert. GQ three. Intruder alert. I love that doorman, and I may have to loan him to to my guest tonight um, if they if they need him. But he's a good man. Hey, this is Madam Perry. Also known as Jennifer Perry, your host and cruise director for Madam Perry Salon. Thank you so much for being here and listening. And thank you so much for everybody that's been uh, subscribing, whether it's on Blog Talk Radio, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast FM. Uh, subscriptions are up. And, and every day when I check the stats, so many of you are listening and listening to old episodes, too, that you download. And of course, it's no charge to download. Um, and I really appreciate it because it makes me feel like I'm bringing you guests and bringing you stories and information and entertainment that that you like and that you're interested in, and um, and that's good. So keep telling me, keep listening, and if you want somebody, somebody you think that um, you'd like to hear on here or even you, just give me uh, a message or call here. I definitely appreciate it. Um, Let's see, last week, uh, I've got to remind people, because I promised him I would, last week we had Paul Myers, and he's a musician, a journalist from Canada, but he lived in uh, England for a while, but he's in California now. But we talked about his uh, three books. Uh, one was uh, A Wizard, A True Star, about Todd Rundgren, and um, his his history of, of being in the studio and the people whose records he produced um, – Outside of his own work as Todd Rungan, solo artist in Utopia, um, you know, Patti Smith, XTC, uh, just a long list of people, as well as um, there was a, uh, the other book was uh, Bare Naked Ladies, Public Stunts and Private Stories, and that band, that was the first book he did about a band, and they asked him to write the book, and then there was one called It Ain't Easy, uh, about long John Baldry and the Birth of the British Blues. But Paul has a new book coming out in October, which you can pre-order. It's called One Dumb Guy, and it's about the um, Canadian comedy troupe, The Kids in the Hall. And uh, I don't know if you watched that show, if you remember that show. I loved it. But uh, The Kids in the Hall, but you can go ahead and, yeah, you can go ahead and pre-order that now for October. And let's see. Um yeah, it was a very fun fun guest, very fun show. Also, uh, you know, we recently had Michael Fleeman again, true crime author. You see him a lot on shows like uh, ID Investigation Discovery and Escape and things like that. And this was about his – he was talking about his most recent book, Better Off Dead, about a, uh, a love triangle uh, in, a, in a pretty interesting neighborhood. And it has, I don't know, everything in it. Um, I can't get over the thing about the swingers and the and the naked people on the zip line. That just sounds like a little too dangerous for me. But hey, it's their neighborhood. So anyway, yeah, I always have fascinating people, and uh, tonight is no exception. Even though it's a little different from usual, you know, sometimes we get into a serious thing, and I am delighted, absolutely delighted that uh, most of you that listen know my dear friend, author and editor, Becky Kyle. And Becky suggested this show because I believe she's from Oklahoma. And if you're tuning in tonight, I know you know exactly what this is about. Um, you know, so many people, i got to tell you, even recently, um, I saw a clip, I watched TV on YouTube, I saw a clip on YouTube recently where uh, the comedian and uh, talk show host Bill Maher said, you know, everybody knows, I admit, you know, I don't really 
have any interest in kids. Even when I was a kid, I didn't care about other kids. He said, but I've got to tell you, this really gets me. He goes, I am so sick of seeing teachers have to buy, having to work extra jobs after school and on the weekends. And things where the students really get the um, the raw end of the deal, the students and the teachers uh, from all the government budget finagling and cuts and uh, so forth. And yeah, you think about it. I don't think I know any teachers that uh, that don't work another job. Uh, very few. And also, um, I've been in restaurants where I'll have a server that says something like, uh, yeah, well, my day job is a math teacher or something. So uh, that's, that's just not the way to treat people uh, who have such a dedication to their job. Um, so tonight, we're going to talk about specifically the Oklahoma teachers uh, recent walkout, although they've that's the walkout has ended, but we're still going to talk about it tonight. And what can we really expect? What can they expect? And the families expect the children, the parents going forward. If anything, what can they expect? Um, and what maybe what should have been done differently? The two people I have on tonight with me to start off. And again, as I've said on all the social media, you know, you are welcome to join the conversation tonight. I don't care where you're from, what side you're on. Everyone is welcome to join the conversation as long as we're all civil amongst ourselves, uh, speak silly to one another. And so um, my first guest, and this is, now these people, it's their first time here in the genie bottle known as Madame Perry Salon. And they haven't heard this yet, the story, but uh, one of my first, in the beginning of the, uh, the show, when it was just a blog, one of my first guests that was on went back and told the world, I've been to Madame Perry Salon. It looks like the inside of Cheney's bottle. So after that, that way you'll know why it's a little dim in here and you're sitting on cushions. So I want to introduce, first of all, <laughs> Belinda Christ. And Belinda is a teacher in Oklahoma. She's been teaching high school for 24 years, teaches English and art because she's an artist. And um, I think if you see some of the fantastic posters out there, hers are probably the the, uh, the most uh, professional and creative and uh, rather, although I've seen some rather imaginative ones, and I posted a few of them. And so, uh, Belinda Christ, welcome to Madame Perry's Salon. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's, I'm delighted uh, to have you here. Oh, I'm honored. And also in the room with this, I don't know if you know this fellow, but he is a uh, national board certified social study teacher, teacher at Enid High School in Enid, Oklahoma, currently completing his 20th year of teaching. And course. That's Mr. Matt Holson. Matt, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you tonight about education in Oklahoma. Well, I am delighted to have you here, both of you here. Um, I don't know if you know each other. Belinda, meet Matt. Matt, meet Belinda. Hi, Matt. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so, um, to start back, I guess we want to go back a little bit to where everything um, everything began. Uh, one of the articles uh, that I was reading, it was, um, it talks about how it reached a point where suddenly the teachers just said, enough is enough. And... Um, and that was it. And let me find my quote here. It's right behind you. It says, uh, "This was in the Together Oklahoma, and by Sabine Brown." It said, and she, this was written on, uh, published on April 17th, uh, which oh, well, that's the day. So it says, two weeks ago, teachers, state employees, and supporters decided that they had had enough, enough of overcrowded classrooms and the exodus of teachers to neighboring states, enough of state employees who are overworked and underpaid, enough of cuts to core services, putting our most vulnerable citizens at risk, and enough of refusing to invest in Oklahoma. Two weeks ago, advocates across the state demanded better, and tens and thousands of people showed up at the Capitol to advocate for better funding. Teachers walked to the Capitol across the state, or from across the street, and citizens lined up to get in the building and talk to the legislators, many for the first time. So I think that's that a pretty good introduction to um, where, where the where the straw broke. 
Absolutely. Belinda? Yeah, I I think that is. Um, We we have had almost a 28% cut in education funding in the last 10 years, the majority of that coming in the last three to four years. And um, it's, it's devastated school districts throughout the state. Um, there are school districts that have four-day classes because they can't afford to have the school open on either Monday or Friday. So they actually have class only four days a week. There are four days classes. a week. Four days a week. There are classes that have up to 50 people in a classroom because we have such a shortage. They have doubled up class size in cases. Um, I've heard up to 50 people. Um, I I know personally of people who have, you know, who will have 36 to 40 kids in a classroom, have, you know, 30 desks and three extra chairs. And so you've got to get there early to get a chair. Um, we've had uh, we've had to have it. That should be embarrassing. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it absolutely is. It it shouldn't happen. Um, but we've had we've had um, so many emergency certifications. You know we have such a shortage of teachers right now uh, because if there are teachers going to the uh, teacher colleges here in the state, they are not staying. And teachers who have been here for a while aren't leaving because you can cross any border and get at least a $5,000 raise. We have six borders of our state. You can cross any of them and get at least a, a five $6,000 raise. Then there are some places you can get a $20,000 raise. And so why stay here? Is no incentive to stay. And so because all of these teachers have been exiting, we've had to have emergency certifications and people who have a degree and a pulse are suddenly teachers. And the degree can be in basket weaving or in, mm-hmm. you know, water technology or something. You know, it doesn't have to be anything that does, has anything to do with education. Wow. that's and, and I would think that the government would be so, the Oklahoma, the legislature, the powers that be should be ashamed of this. But, I don't know, maybe their kids go to private schools or something, so it's like it's not my kids, it's the other people's kids. Matt, what do you think about, uh, I'll give the same question to you, the description that I read from Together Oklahoma. Well, I think teachers in general are a very tolerant and caring group of individuals. And 10 years ago when these cuts started to go into effect, teachers just, we're going to get through this, you know, I'm going to teach the kids that come into my classroom. But 10 years has been a very slow burn. It has reached a very critical point in schools across the state of Oklahoma where we are reducing not only teaching positions, but we're reducing course offerings, our fine arts, our uh, music art programs, our foreign language programs have been gutted and decimated across the state because districts have had to make difficult choices on whether we need another science teacher or we need the Spanish teacher. Well, we have one already, so we can eliminate one of those positions and just eliminate some of our offerings. We've noticed in my school districts several years ago to save on cost, librarians, our library media specialists that serve such a vital role with especially our young readers, but even through mm-hmm. our secondary schools, they've been reduced to being five days a week in one site to where they now have to split their time between multiple sites. So the kids in those different schools are not getting the services that they need 
all the state has continued to make cut after cut after cut. And then you see over the last five years, class sizes do dramatically increase. Whether it's 38-year-olds or it's 30-16-year-olds, 35 the next year, 37. In some of our classes, we are at 45, 50 kids, and that's too many regardless of the level. But mm-hmm. there's no other option for, for most of these districts in, in order to do that. And teachers are trying the best they can with what they've got. But every year, it's less and less, but we have to do more and more. Yeah, do more and more with less and less. Um, and, and that brings um, – wait a minute. I, I am just I – mean, so when the budgets are cut, what, what do they tell you? Is, is there any kind of an excuse given, or is any, <laughs> do they tell you where the money does go? I mean, I hear you laughing over there, Belinda, so tell me. What kind of, what kind of, what kind of baloney oh. are they flinging at you? Well, the state has we, – we have a very fiscally conservative legislature – and they have decided in their wisdom to reduce taxes. And so for a number of years, taxes were reduced. I believe it was starting at 7%. And they reduced 0.5% a year until they hit 5%. That's our income tax. Income tax is 5%. And that's it. You know, then on top of that, our gross production tax for our one of our biggest industries, which is, is our oil and gas industry, gross production tax has been held at less than 3% for decades. And other states have increased their gross production tax. And Oklahoma's mm-hmm. just held it down, held it down, held it down. Um, the, the oil and gas industry in Oklahoma has, has amazing clout, and uh, mm-hmm. they will fight tooth and nail to, to have those good, those wonderful perks maintained. Um, so they have um, that one of the things that they did pass this time was uh, in in some of the money, the some of the funding that we we want in the walkout was an increase of gross production tax from I think it was two point three and it's going up to five five percent. Mm-hmm. It is still one of the lowest gross production tax uh, amounts in the nation, and that um, so basically. The oil and gas industry is, you know, they are paying politicians. Well, they don't pay the politicians, but they they put money in their packs and, you know, get them elected. And then when the, the politicians get there, they're beholden to them. Um, I do know that the day after the bill to increase the um, – gross production tax was introduced in the legislature this year. The uh, One of the oil and gas producers, uh, what do they call it, the political action committee, so their little pack. Political action committee? Got together. Mm-hmm. Yes. They got together and had a big old barbecue on the lawn of, of, the, uh, of the Capitol building and divided all of the senators and representatives to come on down and have barbecue. So they were, you know, fighting it right there the minute it was introduced. And uh, we have we have subsidies for the wind industry. We have, you know, there. there it seems like any kind of industry gets a subsidy, but. At the same time, every state agency had to take cuts. So um, highway patrolmen can't can't gas up their cars as frequently as they need to. So their mileage has been cut down. 
and they've um, closed. They've closed um, homes for people who are mentally and physically challenged. They've closed down programs that allow people who have uh, have independent needing independent living needs. They've closed down closed down programs for them. So there are cuts that have happened across the board. Um, we are not the only ones taking these cuts. Every department has taken these cuts except corrections, and even they don't get any increases. And so, I mean, it really is. It's a disaster. Mm-hmm. As soon as I guess pretty much everybody be damned but them, you know, just as long as they get their their the graft and the gravy or whatever. Um, and by the way, if you're listening live, I want you to know that here on Madam Perry Salon, we're talking about the Oklahoma teacher walkout. It's over, but you know what happens now, or if it, does anything happen now, and and what does this mean? Um, and if you would like to join the conversation, you are certainly welcome. The number to call is six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Six four six seven one six nine nine two two. It's a toll free number in the continental U.S. And um, yeah, I've got some people that that are about to call in, so stay with me just a minute. Um, I wanted to say that I was reading a book about a year ago, and this is what I'm thinking about. And Matt, you know, you you may want to start with this. I don't know, be the first to answer this or or discuss it, uh, or Belinda, but. About a year or so ago, I read a book by uh, Nicholson Baker, author Nicholson Baker, uh, called Substitute. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Substitute, Going to School with a Thousand Kids. And it's where he took uh, about a year and worked as a substitute teacher. And so the whole book is about, you know, what what an eye-opener it was to him. Um, and, and he lives in Maine. Um and what an eye-opener to him about what it was like, um, how the classes were, but also about how um, one of the things he talked about, and I guess this something happens everywhere, there are a lot of kids there that, you know, would have to way on a bus and come and, you know, get up really early, come a very long way, and they'd be sleepy in class, or maybe they were on certain medical, and then maybe they were on the wrong, even or maybe someone hyperactive, so they had teachers, um, you know, I guess with paraprofessionals, or uh, they called them tech help, but um, aides in the class to help out. And I would imagine that's something, there were some things like that, I'm sure, in every school these days. So you're going through all that, too. I mean, tell me, stop, you know, stop me if I'm off track here. But reading that book with him and knowing the teachers that I know, um, and you've got even fewer resources for situations like that, for dealing with kids that do have a, you know, uh, a need like that. Maybe not a severe special need, but they need a little extra, a little different attention. Well, I, I so, if I can and talk about that a little bit, I think there is a perception in a lot of people's minds about what schools are like and what it is to be a teacher. And the kids that come into our classroom, those problems that you address, and so many more that we don't know about, but the school is the place that is safe for them, and the school is the place that they are expected to have those needs met. And you're talking Mm -hmm. about cuts to mental health. You're talking about cuts to Uh, protective services to get our kids who are in abusive households out and into a safe place, those agencies have been cut. And so it's not just a cut to various different programs, but these are our kids. These are our kids in need of these services, and this is something that adds then to the myriad of issues we're we're facing within the classroom of trying to meet these kids where they're at when they come into our classes and trying to provide them with an education, but also with that physical health support, mental health support, and learning support that they're going to need, which 
just becomes difficult when you have a class of 35 students and you have 10 of them that are limited language learners. English is not their native language. You have another 10 mm-hmm. that are in need of educational support. They have um, a, a disability of some type, and so making modifications to try and meet the needs of those students. And then you have other students who have things going in their life that you don't even know about, but you see the, the student act out in the classroom, which makes it so much more challenging to try and meet the needs of those 35 kids in a 50-minute period when there are so many obstacles in the way the state continues to remove resources. I think also one of the things that we see is, you know, in my district or in my school, not in my district, but my school has about 85% of our kids are free or reduced lunch, which means that they live at the poverty level or lower. And so there are tremendous things that happen in their lives that affect them and affect the way they learn. If you're hungry, you're not worried about learning, you know, who the first president was. If you are worried about whether or not you're going to have a place to sleep tonight, you're not worried Mm -hmm. about whether or not you can figure out this math problem. If the mm-hmm. electricity was shut off, if, you know, you don't have lights at the, at the home, if your heat was shut off, you'd never know what these kids are facing. But so many of our kids in, in my school are, are living on the edge poverty-wise. And so we become their safe haven. Our district this year got a grant to feed all children for free at, at all district schools so that everybody gets breakfast and they get lunch. And immediately before they go home, we give them second lunch so that they can have something in their tummies when they go home. Over the weekend, we give them, you know, backpacks full of food, the ones you need. Um, and we, we hand them backpacks full of food and, and send them home with that. So we become the special services that they need. And I think a lot of people don't realize school does that used to be part of other community service, um, service uh, entities. And we have become like the central location for everything. You know, it's just sort of like it just gets – everything I hear just, just gets worse and worse and worse. I mean, I've heard – now, I'm um, – as if you couldn't tell, I live in Atlanta and always have. And um, and I know here there's always the big thing that the parents get the list every year to what they have to bring, provide at the beginning of the year, like maybe two rolls of paper towels, some um, hand sanitizer, some pencils. They get a whole list of things they have to t- send to the school with a child the first day. And and then when you talk about food insecurity, my mother uh, a few years ago retired from, she wasn't a teacher, she drove a special ed bus in DeKalb County, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with special ed, you know, you go to specific houses with specific children. It's not just, you know, a lot of it at the stop. And I remember her, um, she would, and, you know, they don't spend a lot of money in that job, but she would, just go. She she just loved those kids, but she would get her. Um, she would get these little cartons of milk and maybe something like some cinnamon rolls or something, so she could give them all something in the morning because you know, um, they would come on so hungry. And um, I know other people are this way too, but you know, uh, Southern women we love to feed people, but these kids were really <laughs> hungry. So, you know, I remember her, her doing that, and. Uh, but I guess one thing that gets to me is I keep thinking, you know, where is the shame? I would think that there people should be, uh, the government, legislature should be ashamed, and there just seems to be absolutely no embarrassment. For Pete's sake, Oklahoma teachers have been on all the major news outlets, and these days everything that goes out 
it's, it's spreads, you know, it's, it's everywhere. And I would think that with everything, with all the school, you know, I think it was, what was it, Virginia, Oklahoma, I would think that somebody would be ashamed enough or embarrassed enough to make a difference, but apparently they go back in their ivory towers. And right now I have a call from um, uh, a call from another Georgian, uh, and this is uh, Duffy. Duffy, hi, you're on Madam Perry's Salon, and we're talking to Matt Holson and Belinda Christ. And just come on in. Uh, hello, Belinda and Matt. Uh, I can't hear the... Uh, I can't really hear the show over the phone. I'll turn it up on my uh, computer. But there is a delay. But I, I'll um, I'll give you my question and then I'll uh, and uh, then I'll listen back on on the computer. Um, uh, a lot of I remember. I remember, I'm old enough to remember the Little Rock Nine and also uh, uh, being in Georgia and being in the Deep South. I remember uh, the problems with George Wallace and, and segregation of schools in Alabama. And since then, you realize that so, so much of these problems have to do with uh, educators and uh, and students having to fight uh, political battles and having to fight with uh, local and even sometimes national governments. And we still have the, the problems now that, that uh, with the things that have gone on in Charleston and other places with the uh, and and with. Um, with, with the school shootings as well, and people fighting to make sure schools are safe. What, how, what have you learned about how to get things across to politicians? And, and also, what have you accomplished? Have you been able to uh, get the, are you going to be able to get the textbooks you need and the uh, repairs to things like your crumbling ceilings and the um, uh, enough classrooms and enough teachers for your the uh, uh, large, large classes that you have to deal with and um, and the four day school week as well. It seems like most of what you're asking for are for the students and not for yourselves. Uh, except for the four-day school week, which is stressful to you, it also reflects on the students. That is a great question, and I think you have really hit on a lot of the issues that face teachers. You asked, what have we gotten so far? You alluded to this walkout and things that were going on. This walkout lasted two weeks. In that two-week uh, window, we got nearly half a billion dollars dedicated to education funding for the next school year. Uh, there was about a, a half a billion dollar ask of our first year of a three-year plan to fully fund our schools, and part of that process started a week before the walkout. However, none of that legislation had been signed by our governor, and there was no guarantee things would be signed. The walkout began. Teachers, parents, community members showed up in mass and made it personal to the legislators to have a parent talk about what their elementary school kid has to experience on a daily basis in an overcrowded school, or to hear that special ed teacher who talks about how they're getting a large number of referrals because class sizes are so large that teachers are saying these kids have needs that can't be met. It's because it's an overcrowded classroom. And so we're going to see more money coming into the classrooms next year, and some of that money is going to force the uh, state to enact and reimpose some of the regulations we had concerning class size, concerning library media specialists, concerning textbooks. You know, we started off 
with looking at how education funding per student has been cut over time, we've put a little bit of money back. Is it where we want it to be? Absolutely not. But it's more money next year than what we had this year. So it's continually working to move forward. And that's really been a, a payoff of this walkout. It, it has opened parents, students, and lawmakers' eyes as to what's going on in the classrooms within their communities. I think that's very true, Matt. Thank you for saying that. Um, something that I'd like to kind of touch on as well, um, the that of that half a billion dollars that we we um, got them to commit, um, a lot of that is in in the form of a pay of a pay raise for teachers. We had not had a pay raise in ten years, and so a lot of that is is dedicated to our pay raise, which is, you know, don't get me wrong, it's a wonderful thing. And it's important because the only way we're going to get and retain really quality teachers is by by competitively paying them. But as far as the per student items, the amount of, of funding that we uh, got is is less than a hundred dollars per student for for what? replacing textbooks. It's of of the half a billion dollars, the amount that is actually going to be dedicated to students is less than a hundred dollars per student, and mm. so it, it's just a drop in the bucket. This is a three year plan. We do plan to continue our activism. And in fact, the walkout has, the teacher walkout has, has concluded, but there are other things that are continuing. First of all, uh, a, the, the highest number of teachers ever to uh, sign up to run for, for candidacy for the legislature uh, just happened. We had it was it was during the window the window to sign up for uh, to run for you know for it to become a, a senator or a or a um, representative was that week when we were out and at the Capitol, and so people were walking from the lines where they were out front walking against you know to to walk for our students. They would walk into the Capitol building and go to the election board and sign up. And so we have a record number of teachers who are running for office this year. Um, mm. or, and, and we'll find out in – Wonderful. Uh, yes, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Because uh, one of the reasons teachers don't run for office is because they have to give up their careers. Um, mm-hmm. Our legislature is a part-time legislature. And it is in one of the uh, requirements is that if you are in the legislature, you cannot be a teacher actively teaching because you would be away for three months at least. And so they they say you cannot be a a, a teacher and be a legislator. Now the legislators make almost as much as the teachers do in that three months, but that's another <laughs> that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so that ain't right. That ain't right. I know. But no. we, we are still there. Is still I know that is so wrong, isn't it? We still have yes. people at the Capitol marching. Now it has been taken over by parents and the and the community leaders and the business leaders. They are down there marching. Many districts are allowing certain numbers of their teachers to go down like once a week. And so I know the Oklahoma City District, which is the district I work for, is allowing members of of the staff to go down, and they're trying to figure out a way to send people every day, a few people from every, you know, from a school or from different schools every day so that we stay in front of their faces. Now, we, so we hope that in November 
there's a huge turnover. That's one thing that we're hoping for, that we get a more um, a more education-friendly legislature. But then also one of the problems is that we have a legislative uh, – one of the – one of the rules that is in place is that in order for any funding bill to pass, for any tax increases to happen, you have to have three-fourths, 75% of the legislators support it. And that supermajority is almost impossible to meet. And so... Because you have to have 75% in order to pass any increases in tax, in taxation, um, one of the things that we are advocating for or that many people in the education field are advocating for is a changing of that rule and a lowering of the percentage that is required. Um, it, it's a pretty high bar. And... <laughs> It's, it's higher than the bar on the national level. And so it seems a little excessive, but that is, the, mm-hmm. that is the way it stands right now. And so there is some hope that if we get a change in legislative makeup, that maybe there will be a change in the rules, which will allow funding to be easier to pass. Um, yeah, you know, it's a three-year plan, so mm-hmm, we're working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I had also invited um, um, Craig Hoxie. I don't know if I think this is his name H O X I E. I found him on Twitter, and um, do, do you know him, Belinda or Matt? I do not. No, I don't. Yeah. Know. Okay, well, anyways, all right. So he's a teacher who says. Um, he is running for House District 23, I see. Is it Hoaxy for House District 23? <laughs> I invited – yeah, because he, he's, he's got all these pictures on his Twitter, and he's, it was his application, and he said, well, because you can't ask someone to do something that you aren't willing to do, so I'll see you at the Capitol tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's what he wrote on the 12th. And uh, he, he's – I invited him to be on tonight. He says, thank you. I would love to do it another time, but tonight i got too many meetings. I'm thinking, okay, well, this man's working it. He's, he's out there. He's, so, uh, he's on Twitter at HoaxyCR. And, uh, but, it's, uh, but also he, just, uh, he retweeted a post from the Pastors for Oklahoma Kids, and it says, uh, they said a movement was launched, teachers, parents, grandparents, students, students attorneys. Pastors, advocates, business leaders, you, and that's a capital Y-O-U, you started something big. So remember, register and vote. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think that has been the most mm-hmm. profound and important impact of this entire movement. It is, the walkout was never intended to be the final option to, to get funding. It was one of many strategies that are going to be used. But I was down at the Capitol during this walkout for those two weeks, and the one thing I continued to hear from people, teachers, parents coming in and out of that building, is, I had no idea that's what it is. Now that I know, I'm going to do something about it. And a sense of organization and activism has swept across this state, and you see alliances like the Pastoral Alliance working with teachers, working with other community groups, saying that we have a common goal and we need to do something about it. And so meetings are taking place, even in small rural communities in Oklahoma, where people mm-hmm. say this isn't good enough for our kids, and they have been moved to action. And that is really probably one of the greatest things that comes out of this is that people are aware and are motivated to do something about it. And I think, too, another thing that's happened as well is that people on both sides of the aisle have seen it. Yes. You know, it, and it's, it's become something that crosses party lines. Um, Finally. It's become, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, it's become something that everybody sees that this is an emergency and that we need to do something about it. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that it's fair to say that most people were fairly disappointed when um, the uh, it was announced by the Spearhead organization, which is the OEA. They were they were our Spearhead organization when they announced that the walkout was going to going to end because the legislative leaders that they had been talking to said you're not getting anything else. And it does make sense that if you're told you are not getting anything else, that mm-hmm. we have to just kind of take what we have, what we got and go back to the classroom. But at the same time, I think the fire is lit. I think mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. woke, as they say. And I think uh-huh. most Oklahomans are woke. So mm-hmm. I think there's there's a huge sweep that is going to happen across this state, and that sweep is going to be, I don't care who the candidate is, I don't care what party they are running in, if they are not education-friendly, they are not going to be elected. Yeah, and I think that's what Steinberg is. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I think that also addresses that earlier question you posed about why are legislators allowing that to happen? Where's the shame? And there's only shame if you acknowledge that it's a problem. I've been to several meetings with legislators, legislator forums, and the response when they are asked about why have you cut education so much and what are you going to do about it is, Legislators have said, well, we haven't cut that. We've put more money into education without taking into account the number of students have increased mm-hmm. greater than the mm-hmm. amount of money that comes in. So it isn't more. And it's, it's the legislators like that who are drawing those opponents and going to be drawing that opposition and getting a lot of pushback back in their home district from people who said, that's not good enough. We need better. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we're going to see hopefully a lot of change as this momentum continues to grow. And, and of course, you know, if, if you really want to get stuff fired up you all, it's all, and uh, get information going around, it's always good to uh, have a celebrity involved, just like the first grader that found <laughs> out she had Blake Shelton's old cookbook. I mean, not, no, a class movie book. Uh, what was it for? Right. Um yeah, seven-year-old Molly Parker was in for a treat when she opened up her book, and it had Blake Shelton inside. Um, you know, you got a celebrity in it. it you know, it really takes off. It gets a lot more uh, uh, power mm-hmm. behind it, and that should uh, also heighten the embarrassment. But let me ask you this. So do you see, as even though everybody's back in the classroom, does the fact that – um, so many people are, uh, so many educators are stepping up to to run for office, and people are getting more involved. Does it does it really give you a lot of hope? Because I was thinking that you guys have got the momentum on such an upward swing, and and it looks to me like, and I don't have any, I don't have any sample information to verify this, but just empirically, it looks to me as though. Um, I don't think it really seems to bother anybody out there what, like you said, what side you're on politically. They're all parents and they're all teachers. And what matters to you is the students and the class. You don't care where, what you believe, what do you vote. Let's put them first. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always tell people that I don't care what career you choose, what you go into as a profession. The one thing we will always have in common is we are citizens. And we owe it to the kids in our classes to give them the best opportunity at an education so that they can grow and prosper and do even better for the next generation. Absolutely. You know, even last night I was talking to Belinda, and when you were talking about, uh, Belinda, about the the gas and uh, Mm -hmm. oil industry and all that, I just thought, you know, it's almost like, well, maybe you could just let them 
what sponsor a school, like you sponsor a race car driver or something, and at least if their name is on it, they'll come through with some money. <laughs> you gotta have a, you know, you gotta have some Exxon gas Mobile to High School, you know. Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Hazelwood, Exxon Valdez High School, is just kind of slacking there. So uh, yeah. I don't know. change things locally. It's much more mm-hmm. difficult to change things nationally. 
And I think that one thing that we have seen in the last few months is a real awakening of the uh, the spirit of the teenage uh, teenage advocate, and you know whether they're advocating for gun control or here in Oklahoma, we had hundreds of kids who came to the Capitol, and they went into the offices and they spoke to the senators, they spoke to the representatives, and some of them were treated with this derision and were dismissed. You know, you don't yeah. understand. You don't know how it is. It's and yet, yeah. these kids are within a breath of voting. And we are going to see mm-hmm. a huge wave of oh, yes. active, active and engaged young people who will be voting very shortly. It's going mm-hmm. to be time for changes. Mm-hmm. This is democracy I agree. in action. It absolutely yeah, is. Yeah, they're getting, they're getting a live lesson right there. You know, I was looking at, uh, uh, there was an article on CNN that's uh, about the teachers there that are that are running for office. And um, on a quote here, it says, uh, the, the number of teachers vowing to run for office was one sign of the walkout success, said Kelly Craig, a fifth-grade teacher in Oklahoma City. While it's disheartening that the walkout ended, the walkout forced change that Oklahomans will see this November, she said. Without the walkout, this wouldn't have occurred. And so what I'm thinking, I just want to see how many of these people, you know, how that turns out, how they um, – how the elections go, um, and I am hoping that come November that I would love uh, Belinda and Matt to have you both come back and bring a couple of friends and uh, talk more about what's happened from now until then, if you would. Absolutely. Yay! Okay. Yay. Yeah, because I think that uh, we're seeing the movement. We're seeing the momentum. You got. I mean, you know, you're making it happen. Um, you shouldn't have to be doing it, but uh, but the students are seeing it. And yes, like you said, just democracy in action, and they're getting a live lesson for it. Uh, Matt, do you do you have any parting words? And then after you, Belinda, before we go, or anything you want to say to the parents or legislators or anyone? I just encourage everybody to continue to ask questions, to get involved, find out what it is that you can do at a local level that will help continue to move this movement forward. All right, great. Uh, Belinda? I think that everybody has, has really shown us the spirit that we expect from Oklahomans, but we still need to do more. We can't forget this. We need to stay active. We need to find candidates mm-hmm. that we can support. We need to actually do something. Don't just mm-hmm. say, I support this candidate. Get out and work for them. Figure out what you can do to help your candidate get elected. And just keep right, keep it rolling. Keep it That's right. Keep it rolling. Keep it in the lane and keep, keep it, it moving. And... Uh, and I definitely want you, uh, again, Matt Holson and Belinda Christ, thank you both so much for being my guest, uh, to everyone who's listening and uh, saying that they're listening at home and saying, you know, they're, they're cheering for you. They're sending me messages on Facebook uh, cheer, saying that they're they're right behind you and they're proud of you and impressed by you. And I do hope you will both come back in November. Let's talk again about what's happened by then. And uh, Duffy Odom, thank you for calling. And this is... Madam Perry, remember, tomorrow night, uh, my guest is Kathleen uh, O'Keefe Cannabis. Um, I met her at Book Expo years ago in New York. She's been on Dr. Oz talking about her books about diagnosing your health problems through dreams. And she'll be here tomorrow night So, if you wanted to, uh, with her new book. So if you want her to uh, interpret your dreams, give a call tomorrow night. Duffy, Belinda, Matt. Call in with your dreams tomorrow night. And, uh, <laughs> and remember, folks, as I always say, everybody's got to swing. Uh, Madam Perry loves you. Good night.
When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.